With the pomp and circumstances over, let's get to work. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com. And, of course, Jeremy's work is always there at houstonchronicle.com and expressnews.com. Jeremy, there is so much going on this week, and I'm not sure how we're going to pack it all in, but I know that we will be able to. But one of the things that – because, you know, the, the efficiency of this show, we can get we can get it all in. I know that. Uh, and it, it'll it, and it'll happen – in a way that just kind of washes over you. And somebody told me last week that what they really appreciated about what we're doing here on the show is identifying what are real fights and what are fake fights, right? So like when we talked about the cigars last week, what a fake, (laughs) I called the show fake outrage last week and people, the feedback I got was the only thing uh, that they heard that was really uh, genuine outrage was how mad I was about how fake the fight was, right? So, so there's so there's some real things and fake things that we'll get into here. Um, it was inauguration day on Tuesday uh, in Texas. You had the governor and lieutenant governor sworn in for their third terms. Did you realize, Jeremy, that the inauguration, and this is the way uh, our publisher Harvey Kromberg put it at quorumreport.com, he says it's kind of the incredible shrinking inauguration. Remember, as recently as 2015, you would have had something like twenty-five or 30,000 people descend on Austin for the inaugural. Uh, and this time around, when I was talking to some of the organizers of the events, I mean, I think the lunch on the South Lawn of the Capitol probably topped out at about 4,000 people, something like that, which is not small. I'm sure in lesser states, that would be really impressive. Uh, and then at the, at the gala, and there was only one gala instead of lots of them, right? Years ago, there'd be lots of them if you think back to uh, when Governor Richards was there or Governor Bush or Governor Perry or even the original inaugurations of uh, Abbott and Patrick. There would have been you know, several of these big parties. There was only one, and I think they were around probably 2,500, something like that you know, for, the, uh, for the attendance at that. So the speeches uh, from both Abbott and Patrick were amped up at times. You heard Patrick screaming, we love God, which, of course, I mean, this is Texas. Um, And you had Abbott reciting the words. He didn't sing it. He didn't sing this. He, he, He recited the words to the song, Texas Our Texas. And this is a little painful, but it is a Greg Abbott speech after all. The song begins like this. Don't Don't fear it at all, because there's there's no no chance chance I'm going to sing it to you. But let me just recite the first few words, because the words are so important to who we are as a people. It begins, Texas is our Texas. All hail the mighty state. Texas is our Texas, so wonderful, so great. Boldest and grandest. Withstanding every test. Oh, empire wide and glorious, you stand supremely blessed. God bless you, Texas, and keep you brave and strong. That you may grow in power and worth throughout the ages long. Jeremy, I was tempted to say that maybe the governor's speechwriters ran out of ideas because that was a lot of the speech was reciting. He kept going back to that, reciting the the song as he was um, talking about different topics. Um, some of those topics were, uh, you know, more serious than others, and we'll get into them. Uh, but what do you think? Well, yeah, that's you know, you can see somebody in his staff must have said, you know, what would be great? Let's let's talk 
a song out. Like, so, it, it's, it, but, you know, again, they should have a reminder of why, you know, Willie Nelson, every time he puts on a concert, he just doesn't read his lyrics. He actually sings, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. and there's a reason that's our song <laughs> and not our, you know, official Texas poem. <laughs> you know, it's not a poem. It's like, yeah, have somebody sing it. It's okay. They could they could have had somebody. They had people there doing sing. Tanya Tucker had just sung the national anthem. You know, or the you know, so you can certainly work her into something, right? I'm sure she would have you know fulfilled that obligation. Absolutely. So some of the topics included property taxes, which we have talked about a lot. We have you know some meat on the bone now for uh, some of the proposals, but there's a lot of work to do before we really get down to what they're really going to do on that. And of course, we'll come back to that topic. Um, the governor made sort of an about face on the issue of infrastructure. I thought this was interesting. Abbott has talked in the past about uh, the idea that uh, Texas is basically done building roads in the next few years. He said that as recently as two years ago uh, in a speech to the San Antonio Rotary Club, interestingly. Um, But yesterday, or uh, not yesterday, but on uh, Tuesday during his speech, um, he said we need to make major investments in all sorts of infrastructure, including roads. We must work this session to bolster our infrastructure, including the roads that we drive on, the water that we use at home and in our fields and the force that we use to ship products around the entire globe. Of course, there are several reasons for this. The biggest one would be the fact that there's a $33 billion surplus, a a cash carryover from the last biennium. But as you have pointed out, Jeremy, if you think about how much money they really have to spend or what they have a free hand on, it's in excess of about $100 billion, right? So you have that plus the fact that, as we pointed out here on the show previously, uh, the comptroller, Glenn Hager, when he unveiled that uh, news about how big the surplus would be, he had some ideas for how they ought to spend it, uh, including infrastructure like roads and ports and water infrastructure, et cetera, also workforce development, things like that. And the Speaker of the House has also said, right, that we need to get into infrastructure investment. Now, here's something that I didn't expect. Um, And you picked up on this, Jeremy. I saw your tweets go by. Uh, The governor also talked about the – and this is just sort of out of left field, but it seems to be uh, that it's going to be a priority for the governor. Um, This idea of the Chinese coming in and buying – land in texas the governor says he wants that to stop what was that about yeah absolutely we weren't kind of really expecting this we're in the early days of the legislature obviously this thing Mm -hmm. has just started up uh and this is the first time i've seen governor abbott come out fully endorsing one of these early bills that have been filed and vowing to sign it he said he would sign this bill by senator uh lois cocourse of Mm -hmm. brenham uh, who, you know, she's pushing this bill that would bar Chinese businesses and citizens uh, from China from buying land in Texas. You know, that takes another whole level. They've done stuff in the past where they've said, look, we don't want you know Chinese, you know, corporations buying, you know, critical infrastructure in Texas. I mm-hmm. get that, you know, but now they want to kind of expand this out to no Chinese citizen or business would be able to buy any land in Texas under this measure. And Abbott went all in on this, you know, saying that, yes, I will sign this bill, get this to me. You know, so he wants this, you know, to kind of continue this, and you've seen, heard this all around the nation, people wanting to like, you know, Republican Party people, particularly making China kind of the new enemy. Like, you know, in term, you know, look, there's already, you know, China in the U.S. already has strained relations. We get that. Of course. But yes, this is a good political issue. Now they're seeing that their, you know, polls show that when they hammer China, 
you know, they get, you know, something out of it. And so we've mm-hmm. been seeing this. You, you saw it in my coverage during the uh, the election, you know, where, you know, Kevin McCarthy came to Houston and just hammered on, you know, the, the communist Chinese party. You've seen it in the coverage of, you know, Michael McCall, our House you know, member from Austin, who's the, you know, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. So you get a lot yeah. of that going on. So now it's like, so how much more can we beat up China? Well, you heard it from Abbott you know, uh, and endorsing this bill. But, you know, the one thing I, it's amazing about it. If you, if you see my story in the Chronicle this weekend, you'll see that like, you know, we do a lot of trade with China. We're not talking a little, (laughs) they're like our third best trading partner. So, you know, even though like, you know, obviously, you know, we're not on the Pacific ocean, but like, this is where like Abbott is kind of hammering this, anti-Chinese kind of sentiment, mm-hmm. but at the same time, man, we like that $3 billion in investment they're sending our way for other things in Texas. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned that there are Republicans around the country who are talking about this. And you know what I forgot to do this week, Jeremy? I forgot to read the Miami Herald before I read the Austin American Statesman, because if I read the Herald, right, um, I would know that Governor Ron DeSantis was talking about this very thing at a few events this past week. You know, we don't want to have holdings uh, by hostile nations. And so if you look at the Chinese Communist Party, they've been very active throughout the Western Hemisphere in gobbling up land and investing in different things. Oh, it, it's a DeSantis thing. Are, they, are these guys sort of cribbing off each other once again, Jeremy? This isn't the first time that's happened. Yeah, I'm almost starting to notice a little echo thing that happens. So if Greg Abbott or Ron DeSantis says something, you have about a four or five day window. You should kind of look at the other. Uh, So like DeSantis said that on Thursday Mm -hmm. uh, and Abbott makes his first remarks on it on Sunday on social media. So there you go. You got four days within the window. So I'm now coining this phrase There's a five day Ron Greg uh, meter that we're going to keep track of from now on. And which like when when. When Abbott buses, you know, migrants to a different place and, you know, five days later, watch DeSantis. That's when he gears up the next plane to ship them to Martha mm-hmm. Vineyard. <laughs> so it's like, just watch these guys for a while. That's my new thing. Jockeying for position on that. Uh, here's the question I got over and over again uh, for a couple of days, uh, for the 48 hours after their speeches, Jeremy. Um, the uh, public education community is on edge about school vouchers once again. And, you know, I was talking to um, a veteran of the Texas Capitol the other day, somebody who's been working there for about 45 years. And this person said, you know, I don't ever even worry about this issue as as being a real thing. And again, trying to identify what are real fights and what are not. Um, This veteran of the Capitol said, that issue always just seems to take care of itself. There's always a bunch of noise and then it never passes. Over and over and over again, there have been you know attempts to do this, as you have pointed out in your coverage. Uh, Governor Bush and Governor Perry, they you know they took swipes at this, and they were they were trying to do small programs, targeted programs, just for you know quote unquote disadvantaged youth in inner cities, Houston and Dallas, but none of that went anywhere. This might be the most amped up we've seen any governor be, and certainly certainly any lieutenant governor be, uh, about the issue. What did Abbott say when it came to school vouchers? Well, he didn't really say it that way, right? All these guys use the term school choice. Um, but here's what Abbott said, sort of giving a nod to those people who want to see, quote unquote, expansion of school. No one knows what is better for their child's education than their parents. 
those parents deserve the freedom to choose the education that is best for their child. Carefully worded, and we have heard uh, this from Abbott and Patrick uh, about uh, parental empowerment, uh, parental rights, uh, and all of that. Uh, Patrick, of course, way more amped up about this. So we are going to pass school choice, and I hope finally this is a session that we join over 30 other states in giving parental rights to parents to choose the school of their choice. Governor, thank you for making this a campaign issue. And by the way, we got 77% of the vote in rural Texas. We both campaigned on that. I think the people of rural Texas are fine with school choice, just fine. So he said it was a, quote, campaign issue, but he wasn't ready uh, to thank the governor for making it necessarily a priority during this legislative session, Jeremy, which we still don't know what the governor is going to do on that, right? Uh, Coming up in February is probably the first week of February, you'll see the governor actually lay out his real priorities because a lot of this is just poetry, right? The the inaugural speeches are just them talking, you know, in, in a lot of it vague terms, as you said on the thing about Chinese investment in Texas, that's the most specific the governor's been about uh, signing any bill into law, uh, you know, really pushing for something and making it a priority. Uh, Property taxes, of course, is a big priority. They've talked about that, and we know they're going to do something on that, of course. Um, But for school choice, it's something that the governor has given nods to here and there, but hasn't really put his shoulder into it. Yeah, lots to say on this, right? Okay, so you know, first of all, like so, these early speeches, obviously, these inauguration speeches were so general, right? And like you said, the specifics are going to come in that state of the state address. It looks like the Abbott people are going to give their state of the state on February sixteenth, uh, and the reason I know this is because that's also the same day Bruce Springsteen's coming to you know Texas, and so you know Springsteen or Abbott, you know, pick your choice which one you want to go listen to. Uh, I'll pick mine, <laughs> but you know, but. Well, you- you did say earlier that you would rather listen to somebody sing. I mean, we know <laughs> that's, that's true. That's we true. know your bias on that. Hey, who knows? Maybe Abbott will join Springsteen on stage and give his state of the state there or whatever. Okay, but um, so the, the, the important piece to kind of listen for. Okay, so you heard that clip of what Greg Abbott had to say about, you know, school choice uh, this week. Now, if you go back to, you know, when you when he gives that state of the state address, what I'm looking for is what is he going to say that's similar to what he said last year in San Antonio? Like the thing he said back in May, remember, was very similar, but with a key difference. So let me read it to you. It was like empowering parents means giving them the choice to send their children to any public school, charter school, or private school with state funding following the student. That's the key phrase you're looking for. That was the first time I had heard him say private school, state funding, following the student. Very direct. It's like, does he put that in an emergency item or a priority list to the, you know, Texas legislature and try to amp up that energy on that. It's one thing, like you said, to say school choice, because you could be talking about homeschooling uh, yes. initiatives and uh, sending more money to charter schools, you know, and things like that. But the, if you cross that threshold from, you know, okay, now we're going to have that private money go to where maybe like, you know, imagine how much, you know, how many more parents might send their kids in like, particularly in South Texas to, you know, Catholic schools versus mm-hmm. the public school. You know, it's like that potential exists out there and people are going to want to know, are we really going in that direction or not? And I think that's why that state of the state address, as important as Bruce Springsteen's will be, Abbott's might be more important on school choice that we need to really kind of understand 
what exactly he means when he says this. Will he mention private schools again and keep that up? Or was that a one-off back in, you know, when he did that in San Antonio? Uh, and he did that in the south side of San Antonio. That is a target audience of those are people who, you know, you, you would imagine if given the choice of being able to send their child to a better performing private school, mm-hmm. might want to do that if that opportunity exists, but they may not be able to afford that at this point. And uh, not necessarily a better performing private school, maybe one that is a religious school and they just rather have their kid there. I mean, that happens exactly. as well. But as, as you said, you know, Texas has a lot of school choice already, magnet schools, charter schools, choice within districts like the HISD, for example. So when they say school choice, and then someone like Patrick will say, well, you know, the, our critics like to say vouchers. Well, we have all that other stuff. So if, if we, if, you know, if you're talking about expanding, quote, school choice, what is the only other thing you could mean? Right. It would be a school voucher, as was passed by the Texas Senate back in 2015. And look, this has been uh, something that has been a, sort of the holy grail for some activists, right, um, to have Texas have a school voucher program like they have in Florida or some other places. But it's failed over and over and over again, as I mentioned. And so there was one group that was making fun of Patrick for pushing this once again, even though it never seems to go anywhere. And you remember those ads? I guess they still do them. The, they, I think they started out as the Real American Heroes ads for the for beer. And okay. um, you, you know what I'm talking about? And um, after 9-11, did you know this? After 9-11, that's when they changed it to Real Men of Genius because they didn't want to they didn't want to say these are you know real American heroes. The funniest thing in those ads was always the guy who was singing. Right, you know, it's a, the the big announcer guy says something, and then the then the, it's followed up by the guy who sings. There's a lot of sing, you know references to singing and, and songs in this show. Um, well, here's a similar ad that was made about Patrick about his push for school vouchers. Real men of genius. Real men of genius. Today we salute you, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Second in command. Like all true Texans, you came from Baltimore and hit it big after changing your name from Gobe to Patrick. A real strong name for a really cool guy. Now you're betting your new name on one genius idea. Public dollars for private schools. School voucher. It's a tax break for Richie Rich. Sure, it's failed and failed and fail but that's why you'll try as many names as it takes choice empowerment brain freedom because you know the best way to polish a turd is by changing its name it's a turd rebrand by dirty dan quite a performance there um with all those other school choice options um the push for vouchers may just hit a brick wall like always. Um, Here's what one of my friends in Houston said about this, uh, Evan Mintz, who used to write for the Chronicle. He said, look, if you want to do a school voucher, then you should have to make the voucher be equal to the amount that it requires to go to St. John's in Houston, which is one of the best private schools there is. uh, It's the scene of Rushmore, the movie, if you know that one. and I think that would be a voucher for $33,000, something like that, which is not something they're going to be able to do, Jeremy. Now, if you think about this in a broader context of what the leadership is trying to accomplish on property taxes and school finance, throwing vouchers into the mix 
really complicates all of that. Because as you know, and I've said this over and over, there are probably four or five people on the whole planet who understand school finance in Texas. I'm not one of them, and neither are you. I've sat through the trials on this, you know, and listened to the actual experts on this deal. One of the, but one of the things that I do understand, and this is not that difficult, is that if you divert money from the school finance system to pay for vouchers, which is how this would work, um, then you are creating a situation where there's less money for every school all over the state. And so if you say that we're going to carve out rural schools, which is what Lieutenant Governor Patrick said, uh, in his speech on Tuesday, I thought it was fascinating that Patrick said that he and the governor will have a plan to protect the finances of rural schools if there's a school choice expansion, right? I would I would call that the secret plan <laughs> for, for now. It would be the secret plan to protect the economic impact in rural Texas if there's a voucher plan, right? So this becomes so hard so fast because of the various groups that would be against it. One, people who sit on the boards of private schools who don't want to see government money flowing into their institutions because guess what? Their fear is government's going to tell them what they can teach in the schools, right? That's number one. Homeschoolers have the same exact fear that suddenly there will be curriculum uh, you know, that is required for them to teach. Um, if you look at the charter schools, they have had such an expansion in Texas, a, you know, a robust system of charter schools uh, all across the state. They don't really want the competition. When you get down to it and you ask the question, who's really in favor of this? It's generally the people who, one, want to grift off the funding for public education, and two, those people who want children to be taught the Bible and have it be funded with tax dollars. That's not a lot of people, right? There's plenty of people who want to have their kids in a religious school, but not a lot of people who say that the government should be paying for that. Well, and, and you know, and here's a secret to this, you know, everybody listen real carefully to this. There might be some politics being played here. You know, it may not matter if there is something that passes or not. Mm -hmm. Maybe the goal just possibly, maybe the goal is to talk about this enough where everybody has to send you campaign finance donations uh, and help support you now and down the road and show their appreci appreciation for you going to fight for it, even if it didn't pass. And then secondly, you know, again, there's, a, there's almost a thematic happening here. You know, think about it on a national political stage. Let's say, you know, uh, Greg Abbott, you know, hypothetically is in Iowa at some point and some you know, group says, hey, you haven't done nearly as much on uh, school vouchers as Ron DeSantis here in the state of Florida, or even what New Jersey has done, you know, it's, or all these other states. Why hasn't Texas kept up? And, you know, and, you know, previously, before that comment he made in May, I would have said, you know, he's done less and said less than both George W. and Rick Perry did when they were in. They, they made m much more of a, an ordeal of it and much more aggressive push in each of their cases to kind of try to get that done. I'd say Abbott hasn't pushed as much, but by mm -hmm. doing what he's, you know, by saying what he said, by putting what he'll put in the, you know, the uh, state of the state address, he's now throwing out that political bone going, no, see, I've tried. I've been pushing this, you know, Texas legislature to give parents choice. I've said it in seven speeches this year as like, you know, but he can't match what Florida has already done uh, right. that anybody in a political on a national level is going to be able to credit them with doing more on school choice and parent rights and that kind of stuff. That's, I think, a key political 
component on all this. Like, why would Abbott want this so much on the radar, even if it's not going to pass? You know, it's about potential presidential ambitions. Honestly, it's the only thing uh, and the only issue that makes me agree that Abbott has presidential ambitions because you know he does a lot on the border. Every Republican's going to do that. He's talking about fentanyl. Every Republican's going to do that. He's going to trash Joe Biden. Every Republican's going to do that. The difference with this is that not only is it such, I would say, a litmus test for presidential GOP politics like you're describing, but it is at the same time such a third rail in Texas. It doesn't work. I don't know what the analogous uh, uh, issue would be in Florida, something that, that you know a Republican politician has to do to run for president from Florida, but it is just poison back home. Vouchers, ha it has been a, a, just a poison, poisonous issue for Republicans who have tried to do this. It just doesn't work. Um, and the reason it doesn't work politically in Texas, and you, know, you heard uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick say that, oh, rural Texans are fine with it. He knows that they're fine with it in part because he's saying they're not going to do it in rural Texas. Uh, and he and he made that part of his campaign message. Remember, he was on the radio with our Chad, uh, our friend Chad Hasty out in Lubbock and Wichita Falls and everywhere. And he was saying, you know, Chad, uh, these people want to talk about vouchers. I'll tell you one thing. We are not going to have a program like that for rural Texas. We know and you, you have heard the arguments for years about how failing schools are failing, failing schools, failing schools, failing schools. But what does Abbott say and what does Patrick say when they're talking about this, this issue in rural Texas? They say this. They say, we know that you think your schools are great here. They don't start with schools are terrible. They have to start with schools are great. Well, if schools are great, why do you need to change anything? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really hard sell. To say, Abbott, Abbott literally had to say on that same show, Chad Hasty, who gets all the interviews out there in Lubbock, on that same show – Abbott said that there's no upside or downside for y'all out here in rural Texas if we do a voucher program. How do you sell voters on that, telling them that it's not – it won't do anything for you? Um, who, at some point, you, you start to ask, well, who is this for? Yeah, and, 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 and also, like, you know, I, I don't think it's a small thing, uh, although it may seem peripheral. You know, like our affinity for high school football and our pride of our alumni, you know, who've gone to schools, it's like, look, it gets different even as you get out west, right? You know, it's like, you know, you, you tell the people at Midland Lee or Odessa Permian, you know, uh, you know, that you know, kids are now going to go to private schools and they're no longer going to be carrying the school you're, you went to and your father went to and you were a superstar on the football field or whatever. Mm. It's like, I think there's a component to that in Texas that is just different than other places. You know, Florida, when they've gone more private schoolish, you know, it's like it changed kind of how their, you know, football, you know, uh, works there. You know, again, Florida doesn't have nearly the passion for their football as, you know, every small town in Texas does. But in, right. in Florida, I, I've talk, talked about this before. This The championship is always between St. Thomas Aquinas, a private school, and IMG Academy, another private school. You know, mm -hmm. it's always private schools only. But here in Texas, you still have that, you know, little you know team out in, you know, who knows where that, you know, can still be competitive. Midland League will always be competitive. You know, it's like, you know, all over the state, you're going to have have like a lot of 
I think a lot of high school alumni people who put that in their consideration when they're talking about vouchers, you know, are we going to gut my school? Are we, am mm-hmm. I going to lose my school pride for, you know, when we win the, won the championship back in 67 or whatever, you know, it's like, that's actually a weird little small, but important issue. I think with a lot of people. I think it's not a small issue. I think it's a huge issue. I I think you're right to bring it up. But I would also say this, in a lot of uh, small communities, including where I grew up, and I was having a discussion uh, about this with uh, one of my uh, good friends here in Austin, Brad Swale. He does a podcast about local Austin politics, um, and he's all, you know, pro-school choice. And he was born and raised in Austin, where if you had vouchers or not, you would have public schools in Austin. Where I'm from, where I went to school, in Louise, Texas which most people have never heard of, down in Wharton County, which is the next one after Fort Bend County, after you leave Houston, going down south on 69, which was 59 when I was growing up. Now it's 69. These places have all grown so just exponentially, right? It, I, was, uh, I was given a speech in Fort Bend uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, the, you know, they're talking there about, you know, if you have elected officials, people in the community, uh, those folks talking about how they have had such big growth. And I said, you know, when I would tell people I'm from Wharton County, no one knows where that is. They still don't. But when I when I would say, well, do you know where Fort Bend is? People used to not, but now they do. Yeah. Right. These places have grown. <laughs> they have grown so big. Right. I don't have to say Harris County. I don't have to say it's it's outside of Houston, um, where I grew up in Louise, Texas, and I actually grew up on a farm south of El Campo, Texas, which is thirty minutes to El Campo. So it was a, it was a, and no one's heard of that either. Um, it was an hour round trip just to go to what was our little town, our little city. The bus. When it got to our family farm, turned around to go back. We were the last on the route, right? And and the and the bus ride to to go to school in Louise, Texas, for me was an hour long bus ride to get there. So we got on the bus at seven and got there at eight. Yep. And when I say that people don't really understand school finance, yeah, I know that they don't. But here's something that people who have not even tried to understand school finance in Texas don't get: if you take money out of the system, there would not be a school in Louise, Texas. They wouldn't be able to afford it. We would go back to the days when people had like a one-room school where the kindergartners all the way through the high school kids were all learning from the same person. Yeah. It would be a dirt floor, right? And you know there are communities like that all over the state. And in so many of these small counties and so many of these small towns, it's the biggest employer in the area too. So there are people who work at the school district who aren't teachers, people who work as bus drivers, people who work as janitors, people who work as support staff and all of that, you start to take, you cut out the heart, not just of Friday night lights, but also cut out the heart of the economy of some of these small places by defunding schools. We're all for, you know, we're all against defunding stuff around here. We don't want to defund the police, but we seem to be okay with defunding schools for some of these folks. And I think that's, that's the kind of fight that is coming for Republicans, that they're going to hear this from their communities when they really get into it. When when the l- lieutenant governor says, oh, they're fine with school choice out in the country, that's because they haven't come to grips with what the consequences would be of taking money out of the school finance system in this state. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Texas has a really long, painful look legal history on school funding fairness, right? You know, it's like, as you're mentioning, it's like you take some money out of, you know, schools in say South San Antonio uh, and send it to private schools for vouchers or whatever like that. You've now made, you know, you know, potentially something unequal where, you know, maybe the kids in on the North side of town 
aren't getting that. You know, it's like, and so it's like, but you know, the whole fight back in the day, you know, the, the Edgewood ISD was kind of that big battle that kind of really really started to change how Texas funded education. They decided that, well, look, it's not good for some schools to be on a dirt road with, you know, crappy facilities while others are, you know, shiny, brandy new, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, let's even that out. So we've been trying to even that out for basically three decades of lawsuits and fights. And that's why you saw the legislature struggle so much with school finance every time they do something you got to see well what's the supreme court going to say how's this going to affect you know uh, how's this going to work in the in lawsuits or whatever so anything they do on this voucher stuff you know the only thing i can in predict for sure if they do anything on this is that there's going to be a lot of lawsuits on what this means for the fairness of like you said the lesser you know, fu- you know, funded schools versus the more funded now already, you mm-hmm. know, there's already a discrepancy in there, but how do you make it that discrepancy less like painful and, and unfair right. from one place to that? You can't make the system unfair for one group of kids and not another. And so it's just a delicate struggle. And like you said, nobody understands how the school finance system works. It, it's kind of like right. a, this big Jenga thing. If you pull out one little item out of it, the whole thing could come crashing down. It's like you just got to be so super careful. Well, right. And here, here's the way I wrote it uh, at quorumreport.com. I was trying to put it as succinctly as possible because it, a lot of it is hard to understand. I, I put it this way. Exempting certain schools from a voucher program just means that they wouldn't get vouchers, but it does not prevent rural areas from losing funds when money is diverted for from the school finance system, which is aimed at equity in education spread across 254 counties, two time zones, among 31 million people in regions that are economically, racially, and geographically diverse. Now, on the issue of education, you know that Republicans do want to get serious about security in schools, but we don't know exactly what that's going to look like either. And um, the Speaker of the House, to his credit, Dade Phelan, did leave open the possibility of some tough discussions about guns. Now, you didn't hear that from the lieutenant governor or the governor and I know it struck you, Jeremy, that in these inaugural speeches, neither one of them, you would have, you would have thought, I, I wouldn't expect Patrick to in a million years, but you might have thought the governor would at least say something about Uvalde, what happened there with those 19 kids and two teachers. And he just said nothing about it. And he, and he, he was angry uh, you know, about a different issue. Yeah, and I get it. It's like I understand that, like you know, look, I, I've I've listened to all of you know Greg Abbott's inauguration speeches, and I can say he's trying to you know have a positive, upbeat, the future's ours kind of tone. I get that. You know, he doesn't want to dwell on the negatives. You know, he didn't dwell on you know he didn't talk about Santa Fe, you know, high school or Sutherland Springs, uh, you know, in past you know inauguration speeches uh, i could go on a whole long list sadly of all the shootings that haven't ended up in, in speeches so i get it but i what yeah. was different about this one is like there's one point where greg abbott started talking about the impact on fentanyl on families who have lost you know children uh, or uh, teenagers or you know 20 year olds whatever to fentanyl uh and having to bury their children and he actually had a little yeah. piece in his speech about how painful it must be for you know families who have to go through that and i thought the minute he said that i thought well why aren't we talking about uvaldi it's like you know it's like just you don't have to go into depth on it but you know at least say mm-hmm. a prayer or, or or you know say my heart goes out to you know the families of uvaldi and because he even starts talking about improving school safety 
uh, and making sure that when you drop your kids off, they come home safe. It's like he he was around the issue. I just I was surprised like he didn't take that time to say, you know what? Right. And we should all say a prayer for the 19 children, those two teachers, those fourth graders who should be with us today. You know, and then you can go on with everything else. But I just feel yeah. like. Even if he wanted to say, look, you know, it's not just that, you know, that tragedy happened, but there's a state component to this. And we are getting at the bottom of why 91 DPS officers were, were there in Uvalde for 77 minutes outside when all that stuff was happening inside the classroom. And none of them took command. It feels like that's a point where he can say, you know, we're going to get on top of this. The buck stopped with me. I'm going to make sure DPS never has that problem again where they get to a scene and they can't get into the classroom to save 19 children who might still be, you know, alive. You know, it's like he had an opportunity to kind of say something. About, and I'm I'm just waiting for somebody to kind of grab onto that. And, you know, but for some reason, we're just not talking enough about Uvalde, at least around the Texas Capitol right now. And I just I hope people don't just move on like it was. Oh, it's just another school shooting. No, no, it's not just another school shooting. It's an elementary school where children like, you know, on the last days of school, you know, are gone. It's like, you know, it's not over. It's like that goes through every day. That's an issue there. It's like every day they wake up, they're going through that. And we should at least figure out, well, how can we fix this? How can we fix it? I know we're not getting gun control. I'm not saying that. He doesn't have to say anything about wanting mm -hmm. gun control or you know AR-15s or anything. He can talk about this issue still in terms of at least just paying respects to you know, what we had happen out there and what we can do forward to make sure the law enforcement response makes mm -hmm. more sense. You know, there was uh, some red meat uh, for Republican primary voters in both Patrick and Abbott's speeches, uh, but it would take, I mean, you're talking about a, a broader discussion about DPS and potentially some regulations around guns and, uh, you know, school safety measures and all of that, but it would take three seconds to say, after what happened in Uvalde, we will keep children in Texas safe yep. when they're at school. You know, and then and in these kinds of speeches, you don't have to be specific. Right. We're not expecting that. We expect broad visionary stuff. And so often we just don't get it. Um, Jason Whiteley at WFAA uh, television in Dallas, Fort Worth, asked the House GOP caucus chairman, Craig Goldman, who was just elected to that uh, leadership position, by the way. Congrats to him. Uh, Goldman from Fort Worth. Um, Whiteley asked him about gun regulations, which, again, the speaker did leave open the possibility that there will be some debates about that. Would Texas conservatives consider raising the limit to to uh, purchase a weapon from 18 to 21? I don't know about that, Jason, but I know we have to do something. And again, I give Speaker Phelan great credit for forming the committee that he did with uh, Chairman Burroughs, Dustin Burroughs, and Joe Moody, a bipartisan committee, right. and former Justice Guzman from the Supreme Court were on there as well and went down to Uvalde and, and, and just really discussed everything and put together a comprehensive report on what they discovered. And I think we're going to, those two especially, Representative Burroughs and, and Moody uh, will form some, um, basically some very tough piece of legislation we'll have to consider passing.
And it seems, Jeremy, that at this point in the legislative session, a lot of the answers are going to sound like that. We don't know exactly what we're going to do just yet about so many things. Another issue that came up um, this past week uh, is what will happen on abortion regulations. Are they going to do anything else? Uh, You have heard the question asked over and over again, will the legislature go back and perhaps put some exceptions in the sweeping abortion ban that we have now, which makes basically only one exception uh, for an abortion, which is if the mother is dying in front of the doctor, right? There are also Republicans who want to go further with abortion regulations. You saw where Tom Oliverson, who's a representative from here uh, from here in Houston, uh, had said that uh, women should not be able to leave Texas, right? They should not be able to travel outside the state to get an abortion. Um, there are also, uh, in Harris County, right in the middle of all this, uh, Briscoe Kane, uh, who's a very conservative member of the legislature from Deer Park, uh, east of Houston. Uh, he had said that businesses uh, that provide uh, abortion uh, benefits, uh, you know, uh, paying for travel or anything else related to an abortion, uh, that they should have their businesses punished. How that will happen, not really specific yet. But another question that came up was, will lawmakers go even further in doing things like locking women up if they seek an abortion. Texas House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jeff Leach from up in DFW, he's from Allen, Texas, he said, no way. Texas is a pro-life state. Um, I'm very proud of what we've done to create a culture of life, to protect innocent life in the womb. A core part of that Mm -hmm. is to come alongside women, to elevate motherhood, to come alongside uh, women and their families and their babies, to give them the resources they need. In the Texas House, we're going to increase the the time of health care coverage um, for a woman to go uh, all the way to 12 months uh, Medicaid. That's Mm -hmm. very important for us to to prove, not only in word, but in deed, that we're going to support mothers. We're not going to criminalize mothers in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, That's that's a a catastrophic public policy that I was proud to kill and will kill again. Uh, But in this state, we're going to elevate life, we're going to protect innocent life, and we're going to come alongside women and their families to, uh, to promote a culture of life in Texas. When uh, Chairman Leach was first appointed to that chairmanship back in 2019, his committee did have a hearing on a bill that would criminalize a woman, uh, would have criminal penalties for a woman who seeks an abortion. Uh, He vowed at that time that the committee would not even vote on the bill. They would not even you know, move it to the House floor. Um, I would say that if you consider something to be an extreme policy position, and Chairman Leach does think that, right? He just said that he was proud to kill that legislation uh, because it shouldn't have gone anywhere. A chairman in the House or a chairman in the Senate gives credence to something by holding a hearing. They don't have to do that, right? And in previous legislative sessions, when that exact same legislation was proposed, Um, The chairman of the State Affairs Committee at the time, a different committee, but has jurisdiction over abortion issues uh, as well. Um, The chairman that that committee was uh, that that bill uh, was the chairman of the committee that that bill was sent to, Byron Cook, wouldn't hold a hearing on it. There were protests. You had uh, you know far right uh, people who uh, you know wanted to see that become Texas law, and he didn't even allow for testimony on that because he, like Leach, thinks it's an extreme position. And they shouldn't be going there, Jeremy. I don't, you know, I think that on abortion this time around, I bet you don't see, you know, I don't make predictions, but I bet you don't, you don't see any movement at all, one way or the other. I think Texas is where it's at right now on this issue. And I can't imagine, you know, that there would be a debate on either loosening the restrictions or going even further, uh, because I don't think that's where the leadership wants to go at this point. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the value for Republican leaders are politically to do that. You know, it's like, you know, I'm sure there will be some pressure, you know, say, you know, shouldn't we be doing more, you know, for, the, you know, make, making those exceptions a little bit broader than what obviously mm-hmm. there's basically nothing there now. It's like there's certainly a lane to go to kind of, you know, make us less, you know, on that far, 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 like beyond right mm-hmm. <laughs> line. But like, I don't think there's enough appetite because, you know, as we've said on the show, it's like you have a primary to worry about. You can't be sitting there going, why did you weaken the abortion laws in this Republican primary? It's like, that is hard to kind of defend. So like, there's no political incentive for anybody to take that vote unless you get enough people who start like, getting challenged the other way and having trouble. Right. If you start seeing Republicans struggle who say, no, I'm, I'm for having no exceptions whatsoever. If you start seeing those people lose, that would send a message to the Republican political intelligentsia that we have to do something different. Right. You know, but right now there's nothing in these last election results that tell me that Republicans paid for going too far on abortion. You know, they have the same majority they had, you know, before the election. So mm-hmm. I think they're okay. Actually, they added a seat right in the Senate. So you end up yeah. like, you know, there's nothing that tells me that they should ease up right now. It doesn't say, I don't think they need to go further. Like, I don't know what further would even look like at this point, but and I don't think they have a mandate to go further yet, but uh, who we'll, knows? We'll Maybe see. Po- yeah. We'll see. Right. I mean, and it speaks right to this internal fight in the Republican Party over a host of issues, including abortion. As I said, there are, uh, you know, already proposals from some lawmakers who would like to punish women, who would like to punish businesses, insurance companies, and, uh, you know, uh, some of the companies that uh, that we say all the time that we want to have here in Texas, that we want them to relocate to Texas, um, and we want to bring in fresh talent to Texas all the time, especially these big tech companies, etc. Uh, and some of those have leadership, some of those companies have leadership that do want to provide uh, more in the way of benefits for uh, folks who are, you know, in that situation seeking an abortion. Uh, and believe me, and, and this was this was said to me a decade ago by someone who had been in the abortion, uh, you know, pro in the middle of all of it, in the in the pro-life uh, or uh, pro-choice uh, wars that have gone on in this state and in this country for decades. This veteran of all that said, believe me, there's always more that they can do. Um, in the uh, GOP primary in 2024, you know, and we've talked about this, but it's, it's ramping up in ways that I didn't expect, Jeremy. I expected some protests. I expected some rallies. I expected people in, you know, T-shirts with slogans that some of them were silly and some of them were not as silly. I expected all that. Here's what I have never seen. I have never seen the Republican Party of Texas spend money, you know, know, contributions, spend money against a sitting GOP office holder in this state. Uh, Maybe I'm missing something, but I don't remember that happening before. This is a small radio ad buy. It was, I think, uh, $15,000, which might... To to you and me, if we just got a check for fifteen k suddenly, if we if we gave Brandon a check for fifteen k, our new producer, welcome Brandon, if we gave him a check for fifteen thousand dollars one afternoon, that would seem like you're going to have a good weekend, right? On <laughs> uh, if we gave you that on Friday, for a radio buy, it's not huge, right? Although people will hear it. Uh, this is airing in Beaumont in Speaker Dade Feelings District, and you know what it's about, right? It is. Yeah, it's about 
Democratic chairman in the Texas House. Democrats tried to turn Texas blue, but Texas voters told them no. We voted Republican all the way down the ticket. But House Speaker Dade Phelan thinks Democrats should still run the show. That's why he's planning to put Democrats in charge of nearly half the committees in the Texas House. Whoa, is that right? That's right. Dade Phelan is teaming up with Democrats to kill our Republican priorities. This has to stop. Call Dade Phelan today. Tell him to be a Republican. Tell him to stop empowering Democrats. Tell him to listen to the 85% of voters who support banning Democrat chairmanships. Now is the time to fight for Texas. I'm here in Houston where uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick lives. And Jeremy, I have not heard one commercial running here in Houston uh, by the Republican Party of Texas asking Patrick to not have a Democratic chairman in the Senate which he has had, and we'll see if he continues to have. There seems to be no similar pressure uh, in the Senate. A lot of this seems like it's a personality thing that people, uh, some people in the party just don't like feeling for whatever reason. Uh, But it has been an organizing principle that has been fairly successful for uh, Texas politicians over the last decade or so, a little bit longer than that, to trash whoever the Speaker of the House is. This goes back to the beginning of the uh, speakership of Joe Strauss, who was in office for a decade as Speaker. Um, and, And think of this. Some of the people who ran for Speaker against Strauss are names that you know now. Attorney General Ken Paxton, Right. He, he sort of used the uh, the idea that the speaker was a more liberal Republican. He used that as his springboard to uh, enter the Texas Senate as a, quote, true conservative and then run for attorney general as a, quote, true conservative. Another uh, one of those who ran against Strauss, Brian Hughes, senator from uh, Mineola, Texas, from out in East Texas, who at this point is one of the most powerful senators there is in the Texas Senate, right? He's carrying all of the big bills for for Patrick, just about. Um, Others who have used this as an organizing principle include those who are just cleaning up, taking a lot of money from West Texas billionaires. Ferris Wilkes, Tim Dunn have spent millions and millions of dollars to promote the idea that Strauss, Bonin, who was also a speaker in between, and now feeling to promote this idea that they're too liberal, right? This is this is the organizing principle for those who are sort of the barbarians at the gate, the well-funded ones, astroturf groups, uh, to go after Republican leadership. And I wonder at one, you know, at what point do Democrats say, you know what, we don't want to be collateral damage in y'all's infighting. That at some point you will have the legislature pushed to the point where it's, you know, passing, like we were talking about on abortion, passing more and more extreme legislation at the urging of some of these folks who, again, are well-funded. They're not just grassroots Texans. Now you have the Republican Party of Texas itself, you know, that apparatus, it's part of the Empower Texas, Texas Scorecard, all of that, all these right-wing enforcement groups. The Texas GOP is now a right-wing enforcement group. If it's going to run ads like that, and I don't know how effective that's going to be, but I do know this, Jeremy, that for Republican office holders, Texas House members, and I think the speaker can withstand this just fine, but for for Texas House members who have to run in those primaries, 
there are votes that they will take in the House that they otherwise would not take, that they otherwise would not vote for certain things if they didn't have to put up with that all the time, that people always questioning whether they are conservative enough. Well, and some of our smarter listeners out there who subscribed to the Houston Chronicle and followed my coverage of the Republican convention back last you know, June or May, I can't remember what month that was now, but like when I was covering that, there were hours upon hours spent on talking about how the Republican Party of Texas could use funding to go after Republicans when they disagree with them. You know, it's like, you know, publicly and even in campaigns to put out notices. It's like this is a, a complete change. Like you said, it, it's turning them into a right wing enforcement group that, you know, they can now they've now worked it into their rules and into their, uh, you know, their, 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 you know, I don't even know what they call it. Like, but they, they now can start using this stuff to go after Republicans at any time use funds from the Republican Party collected from donors from around the state can be now used if they get upset with, you know, a chairman of a committee uh, on an issue, the Speaker of the House, if they get upset with them, the governor, if they get upset with them, they now Mm -hmm. have the ability to you know, announce to the world that they're upset. You know, they, they put that into their apparatus now. It's like, this is what we're dealing with. So now, like, every Republican in the legislature, like, a lot of them aren't going to care because, you know, look, the Republican Party of, you know, Texas is not necessarily the end-all, be-all for anybody's no, election. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they what they say is probably not going to affect you in a lot of races. But there are some counties where it can start getting a little bit painful and annoying and frustrating and make you want to, you know, leave the entire in the process. We've seen that mm-hmm. happen. You know, it's like, this is just another headache for people who are trying to govern. Uh, and yet, uh, and having a Republican party that says, no, we want you to go further. You heard that the entire time when Alan West was the, the chairman of the party, he kept having these rallies on the, you know, the steps of the Capitol saying, you guys need to do our priorities. Here's our priorities, you know, and he would run down the list of nine or 10 things. And mm-hmm. like, but now, yeah, they're still doing that. But now they're like, and if you don't do them, we're going to run ads against you in your hometown and embarrass you with your family. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds, uh, it can sound to people like, you know, just a sort of internal sniping within the Republican party of people having this uh, sort of uh, just internecine, you know, battle, but it ends up having real, um, uh, consequences for Texans because there is uh, there is the threat of a Republican primary, and in the districts that the Texas House members and senators run in, um, there's generally no threat of a general election. I um, mean, you've heard me say it a million times, right? That this is a primary state. That that you know the election of consequence happens in March and not November, with rare exception, 2018 being an, an exception. 2020, not really, right? Um, and so we'll see what happens uh, in 2024. I do think that the fact that the speaker had, you know, when you get down into speaker politics, it's kind of where we live at Quorum Report is, is down in the, in the weeds of what happens at the Capitol. Um, but the speaker had such a good night in March of last year when you know his incumbents were under attack. And the first standing order of a presiding officer is to protect their incumbents, protect the institution. He spent a 
ton of money for a, a speaker of the Texas House. He spent something like more than $5 million in both the primaries, the runoff, and the general election to not only protect incumbents, but to expand the Republican majority while the Republican Party of Texas was spending nothing to do that. And I think that those Republican members are going to remember that, and they should be able to withstand these attacks, but that's not a sure thing. Well, it isn't like it, this is, you know, that whole adage, uh, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's like, you know, look at what's happening with Dade Phelan. You know, Dade Phelan, like, you know, Dan Patrick tried to like <laughs> fight him, you know, in that first session when he was speaker and thought he was, yeah. I think he probably thought rightfully that he was going to be able to kind of push him around and bully him around. Remember, he wouldn't even let him into the chamber that one yes, night, you know, it's like refused him. And there was all sorts of like ticky tacky stuff going there. And then, you know, then of course, like you said, like there was these attacks from, uh, you know, other Republicans and primaries against his allies. And then, you know, then you had Trump, Donald Trump himself, you know, going right. after Dave Phelan. Dave Phelan survived all of that. And like you can see, there's like there's an air of confidence in him right now that I think is much more than I saw in the previous. I, I think he I knows like, mm-hmm. look, you took your best shots at me. You threw Trump at me. Patrick's been a jerk to me. You know, you try to knock out my chairman. Here I am. My uh, majority's you know, solid and I'm ready to go to battle. It's like, I think he's kind of you know, like, if he's not thrown down and, and said, look, bring it on. I'm ready for this. I'm not going to be pushed over by any of y'all. I think he's made that statement by right. just his ability to survive. And even quite honestly, in his trolling of Trump on, on Twitter, yeah. we talked about that before. He's willing to, to poke back. He will poke back at Dan Padgett. He will poke back at Greg Abbott if he's sideways with him. And he will poke back at Donald Trump. He's not afraid of any of them. And I think that's what makes this like going to be such a fun session. Wait till we get to May. That's when you're really going to see what does all this mean. That I'll have the answer for you on you know, May 28th, we'll say. <laughs> right. Well, and I think given everything that you said, which I agree with that assessment, given, given everything that you said, if, if Phelan doesn't do that, when will he ever? Right. I mean, he's, he, I mean, he is set up to do everything that you just suggested. All right. That is enough show for this week. You need to be subscribed to the show if you're not already. Just whatever you're, whatever you're listening uh, on, whichever, whichever podcast app, just click that subscribe button. And if there is the option to do it, just make sure that it downloads the show automatically. So it's just right there on the, on, right on your phone, right on your device, right on your iPad or whatever you're listening on. Do it now. All right. And tell three friends to do that. We appreciate it. Um, you should also be a subscriber at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, expressnews.com, and guess what, Jeremy? Oh, oh, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll see you next time. 